Okay, uh, so um, welcome everyone to uh, this week's serious seminar. Um, we are very happy to have our first hybrid seminar for this semester. And so we have uh, several uh, attendants on Zoom and uh, several attendants here in person. Um, Mike is going to coordinate the questions as usual at the end. So uh, we have, we're fortunate to have two esteemed speakers in, in, in uh, uh, this week's seminar. Um, I, I actually printed out their credentials, but I'll probably eat up half of their time just by reading it. So they're you know, very impressive credentials. So I'll leave it up to them. So it's uh, Scott Sage is the COO of a National Cybersecurity Center. And Erin Miller is the executive director of Space Isaac, the Space Information Sharing and Analysis Center. Uh, they both have a very, very impressive record of, of uh, accomplishments, both at the national and international uh, uh, um, scene. Uh, I let them tell you about it, and, uh, and uh, I'm very, very uh, happy to have them here and eager to hear about how the uh, cyberspace domain has changed the space domain. So the way this is going to go, first Scott is going to give a 15-minute uh, presentation, then Erin is going to give another 15-minute presentation, roughly, maybe not like that strict. And then we're going to leave the second part of, of, of this seminar for questions and answers to both. Uh, so thank you. The floor is yours. Thank you, Professor. We're good on sound, I, I assume. OK, great. All right. Well, Scott Sage, thank you. Then the next slide, uh, I'll just get started on uh, just a quick intro of myself. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Do I need to control those? I, I can do that. There we go. All right. Thank you. I can handle this one. OK, so I just wanted to quickly put up uh, some background. I've what it really says uh, is I've been around kicking around for a while, right, in both the cyber and space domains. Uh, my uh, I was Navy background and uh, I did a lot of comms originally and signals intelligence, but that kind of was before cyberspace security was a word. And then that kind of morphed more to that, not only of information technology networks, but also of human networks. And so that kind of brought me into the whole behavioral aspects as well. And so you see some of the things I've done. I've spent 20 years at Northrop Grumman and finished in the counter hypersonics area. So we uh, developed a sensor in a couple of years time that would look at fast and dim things moving when you're close to the earth so it's like think of taking a picture in the sun so done those kind of things uh as well as a lot of things for uh in that my you know the usual when you get degrees do you actually use them this just tells you i'm weird <laughs> i have a nuclear engineering and journalism as my two undergraduate degrees from iowa state and then my master's was in space systems electrical engineer so i had to learn how to spell f equals ma in a lot of different ways for different engineering disciplines so that's who i am so you know my strange background you can ask me all kinds of weird questions with that background so next slide um oh i'm the next slide sorry so since I'm here in one of the ecosystems, and Sirius especially, where you guys are really looking at you know, globally tough problems, I just kind of wanted to touch off with you of I really like this stat to kind of bring home the seriousness of the problem that we're dealing with in cybersecurity right now. And to look at that, if, if we could take cybercrime and make it a state, it would be the third largest global economy behind the US and China. It's kind of a staggering statistic uh, that's kind of come out and it kind of puts like, this is a hard problem and this is worthy of Purdue, a Purdue hard problem, right? So uh, that's kind of when we talk about the cyber domain, what I tend to think of right away. And in the from a cybersecurity perspective, and I got this from our chief strategy officer, Mark Weatherford, used to be the first CISO of Colorado and did a lot of things with the Department of Homeland Security on critical infrastructures. And as we started talking, he's like, the perfect storm is, first of all, limited, inconsistent, and unenforceable laws, especially if you look internationally. Um, the speed of innovation is far outpacing the speed of uh, security. Uh, Professor, we were talking about briefly that we got a lot of catching up to do. I mean, this is what it is. It's moving fast and we're not keeping up from a security perspective. Uh, the anonymous access to the vast amount of information is just incredible. 
and then you throw in old technology, and you guys know I'm preaching the choir here in cybersecurity, old technology, I mean, just go out 18 months away and then try to come back and do your attacks or defense, and you'll feel like a dinosaur like I am. I mean, it, things move fast, so you've got to keep up. But So there's a lot of old technology in quotes with protocols, and especially when I talk about the space industry, little to no security because it wasn't even planned for, right? So we have that problem. And then uh, I could go on through the whole list that you can read, but really uh, the summary of this that uh, Mark and I like to talk about is if you look like a piece of food, you're going to be attacked like a piece of food. And that's kind of what you feel like when you're here in the cybersecurity world is we look like a nice tasty morsel that somebody wants to go after, okay? And that would be my summary of the slide if I had to put it in a couple words. And then, the, and then as I move on to satellites, okay, well, satellites are kind of becoming a box of software just like everything else, right? So only it's got some unique aspects to it, but I really like this quote from BAE, about what you know satellites from think of things that are in space what they effectively are is platforms with these kinds of embedded systems and so and what's interesting too i think from your guys's perspective in purdue is you don't just have to be a computer scientist or an aerospace engineer to be in this space just from this list alone you can see the different disciplines that have to be brought to bear here to address this problem i was challenging some of the students earlier they have a hackasat competition now where they're actually attacking satellites on orbit that i'm wondering why isn't there a purdue team on this and uh, taking that uh, first prize right because uh, uh, they're actually attacking satellites on orbit now so anyway that there's plenty of things to do here and plenty of opportunities uh that we'll talk about and on the space side aaron will talk about in more detail here in a minute and this is Really interesting, for those of you, the visual capitalist I like going to because they take these big concepts and put a really nice picture to them. And this kind of summarizes the way I've talked about space since my military days. Space has not only become congested and contested, but it's commercial now. And this represents uh, every dot is 10 satellites. And it breaks it down by who owns what now. And you can see at the top, no surprise, but SpaceX, 50% of space is now very commercial. It's no longer a government even, let alone DOD uh, aspect of the world. And then if you go down after four or five companies, you get down to the governments and you're down to single digit percentages of who owns space. So this is a real big dynamic that all of a sudden now space is a lot more about commercial. And so if we're gonna go and move as we are and have new economies, new wealth generation in space, the protection of that space and learning how to behave together in space has become really critical. And you see who's driving the, driving the train right now. So this is a really interesting uh, view of where we're at now. Also, we have a war recently, of course, it's ongoing and going on for the last year and a half in Ukraine. And at the initiation of hostilities, what was the first thing that was done? It wasn't your traditional go after military command and control networks, go after hardened sites of your enemy, et cetera, et cetera. No, with real, relatively unsophisticated means, it was go after a commercial network by the first uh, period before the war started. And so I thought this was also an interesting headline from Viasat uh, that just kind of makes us think of, this is a global hard problem and this is real and this is now. So uh, other aspects and think about that, plus the slide before of how much of those entities in space are actually commercial and what does that mean when you can't get along and you start having conflicts. So finally, the solution, I think I just wanted to end with this, not to go into detail, but is like you guys have pioneered, in fact, that's why we're here, because if you think of an ultimate ecosystem that succeeded of solving global hard problems, we're here at Purdue. And that's why we're here to learn more about that and how that works. But in Colorado Springs is an interesting ecosystem that has not only where I work at the National Cybersecurity System focusing on next generation education, training of leaders, et cetera. Now that the uh, headquarters from US Space Command is now in Colorado Springs, it's kind of heated up and added to all this infrastructure. And we all bring the world already, literally 14,000 people or 11,000 people, I think is the, the number 
where the Space Foundation has all of the global space industry there every year. And the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs has it. And I see I messed up a couple of words here. It's what happened when I did my slides quick. But I was, what, that's, what that really is, it's the bottom line on this slide is, so in talking about what's the real solution from an ecosystem perspective, now you've moved into the sharing and analysis that you have the founding and current executive director of the Space ISAC here to talk to you in more depth about that really critical asset. And this is just showing that this is a start of an ecosystem that's going to go globally, much like your ecosystem has evolved here. So we're happy to be here. Thank you. Looking forward to your questions when we get to them. And I'm going to turn it over to Aaron. And I don't know if she needs to call up the new slides or what, or. <laughs> audio. All right. Can everyone hear me okay? All right. That's good. Thanks, Scott. That was a great setup. Thank I you. appreciate it very much. <laughs> oh, the volume's on up. Okay. Any better? Volume up? Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really pleased to be here with you. Um, it's an honor to be hosted by Purdue and the Sirius program. Um, I'm Erin Miller. I am the Executive Director of the Space Information Sharing and Analysis Center. And I'm going to tell you today a little bit about the Space ISAC and some of the big problems that we're solving that you are all actually invited to participate in as well. Some of you might have heard me speak just very briefly over lunch, and um, I want to continue that discussion with you today, uh, this evening. The, uh, so the, I'll hit the wave tops, and when we get to the Q&A, if you have deeper dive questions, then feel free to ask those. So the Space ISAC, like I said, is an ISAC, and it's intended to protect space critical infrastructure. So the reason why we actually have a global movement now to protect space critical infrastructure is because there are so many attacks against space systems. The whole challenge is, though, identifying those attacks, monitoring, detecting, and then sharing that information with the community. So that's why we have an ISAC. There's a few others out there, about 30, actually, other ISACs. And uh, the White House actually directs these entities to exist. So the Space ISAC was directed to stand up by the White House in 2019. We're only just a few years old now. Let's see. Uh... Space bar. Ah, thank you. Stop breaking. Arrows. I might have to do a click here. Probably because it's a PDF. Yeah. Arrow keys. Right. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. Okay, so as I mentioned, the White House directed us to stand up. Our headquarters is in Colorado Springs, but we have a global community. So we have members from all over the world, and our mission is to facilitate collaboration across that global space industry, enhance our ability to prepare for and respond to vulnerabilities, incidents, and threats, and we disseminate timely, actionable information among member entities. We serve as the primary communications channel with respect to this information. So if you're going to go anywhere in the world to learn about the threat to commercial and international space, it's going to be Space Isaac, which is pretty cool. Purdue is actually on our founding board and made this happen, um, in addition to, of course, the directive from the White House. <laughs> that helped a lot, too. <laughs> Here's a, an image of the community that we've put together. So about four years ago, we started building out our board of directors, and now we have over 80 member companies. So we're well on our way to having over 100 companies that are all focused on this mission of securing the space community. We have members from the launch community, communications, so that would include your companies like Viasat that, were, that was uh, publicly attacked, and that was a big milestone moment for the space community. Uh, space coal companies, we also have space systems engineers, payload designers, cybersecurity for space focused companies, and cloud and data processing. Some of those uh, topics might sound very interesting to you. You might even be looking to work for companies that are in the space ISAC, like Blue Origin or maybe Deloitte Cyber and Space Division, uh, Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, they're all part of the space ISAC. 
On the right-hand side, you see our government partners. Uh, now, there are over 50 government entities that are focused on, that have space as part of their mission. And in some way, shape, or form, they care about the threat. And they, character, they all characterize it differently. Some people think of it as a cyber threat and some people don't. Uh, but it's generally can be characterized as a cyber or physical threat. And so we do all threats, all hazards, monitoring and sharing of information. We have an information sharing portal where we distribute this information, alerts, recommendations, and standards are going out to the whole world through our operational watch center. On the bottom here, you can see we have a global presence. So the European Space Agency, the we're going to be meeting with the Luxembourgish Space Agency, the uh, uh, German Aerospace Center, the Japanese Aerospace Agency, people all over the world have recognized this problem of cyber attacks against space systems, and they're in conversation with us. Uh, there's the founding board I mentioned, um, the over 80 member companies. We're also a member of the National Council of ISACs. And so that means we actually have the opportunity to work with the other sectors too. So like automotive, um, that industry clearly connects to space, right? You guys have connected your devices up many times to a car, which is then also connected to space systems. And we know all of our 16 critical infrastructures are highly interconnected. So the importance of this watch center is to be a clearinghouse for um, data facts and analysis on space security, which includes security for all things that we rely on for our daily life financial transactions, the energy grid, it's all super interconnected. We haven't even started building out that infrastructure in Cislunar that's gonna to connect to it as well. Uh, so our, our core values and how we're putting this together is by focusing on intelligence sharing, resilience, and trust. Trust being the most important factor here because even though we all love technology, people and the trust factor matters a lot. So when we share cyber threat intelligence, we have to have a way to do that that can anonymize the threat intel sharing. So there's that added trust. Um, also, automated indicator sharing sometimes can take the person out of the loop so they have an agreed upon arrangement for information sharing that doesn't require them to make a decision every time information is shared, which can actually improve trust. Here's the scope of threats to the space industry as we view it in the space ISAC. We are extraordinarily concerned about operations technology, the supply chain, business systems, and the mission of uh, space, but, but really it's how it's all connected that matters a lot. So we see you know, attacks against IT systems and we translate those in our watch center to impacts on space systems because the way an IT or enterprise security operations center is looking at the threat is going to be different than maybe a space operations center should be looking at the threat or a SOC that's dedicated to a space mission would be looking at that differently. So it's important for us to recognize that any type of IT threats that you're uh, learning about as you study network security and other things, then the way that they affect a space mission is going to be a little bit different. So here's some of the ways we've uh, put that together in our information sharing working group. We have identified that there's a link segment, we know this, a space segment and a ground segment all connected to a space system. That's a pretty typical way of describing it, but then considering also the emerging launch segment and user segment, how it connects back to us as people, then this is the entire attack surface right here. Well, we like to think it's the entire attack surface right here. And we've identified some of the different types of attacks. They'll look familiar to you if you study cybersecurity. And uh, some of them are a little bit more space specific. There's also some physical attacks in here as well. Um, one that's pretty unique is space weather. If you ever have a chance to endeavor into understanding how cybersecurity and space weather uh, interface with one another, then you'll find it truly to be intriguing because uh, obviously on its face doesn't sound like a cyber issue. Um, in the Space ISAC Watch Center, then we're looking at a few different specific use cases. So we look at purposeful RF interference. So this would be like a cyber attack, and essentially it is, uh, just not everyone defines it that way. Um, again, the link segment. And we look at nation state actor activity against the entire attack surface. We're also extraordinarily interested in ground entry point intrusion and satellite maneuvers that are taking place that would be out of the normal pattern of life. Anyone here done any characterization of pattern of life? <laughs> of course, Scott. <laughs> yes. 
So right now we're focused on what is baseline normal for satellites, especially those low Earth orbit satellites that um, are ones that we're familiar with. Starlink is in LEO and there's a lot of uh, pictures that were taken, Earth imaging by Maxar uh, during the war. Russian invasion of Ukraine, there's a lot of information gleaned on those uh, by those pictures that were taken. Uh, that those types of constellations are under attack on a regular basis. So those um, maneuvers that are out of their normal pattern of life are what we're looking to alert those owner operators about so that they can be aware that something is not uh, looking normal. And then also cyber threat intelligence enrichment, which is really taking indicators of compromise and sharing them out with the community and adding additional information so that it's the most valuable and actionable that it can be in its real time automated sharing. Uh, so I'm, I'm, we went ahead and mapped this to MITRE attack. Anyone here know MITRE attack? Okay, what about aerospace Sparta? Have you ever heard of that? That one's a trickier one. <laughs> the MITRE attack, we know enterprise and ICS is very focused on the terrestrial layer thing, networks that are here on Earth. Uh, aerospace Sparta is focused on the space layer. So anything that has left Earth, basically, you can find the TTPs and the APTs and countermeasures in Sparta. Uh, the mapping here shows you that there's some gaps. If you only used minor attack and you didn't use Sparta, you wouldn't be able to pick up some and track some of these threats in a consistent framework, like minor attack is a very consistent framework that can be used to understand all those different TTPs and APTs. Now we have that for space with aerospace Sparta. So I threw this in here uh, to show you, and oh, you know what? There's something wrong with this slide. This is the, sorry, no offense to MITRE, but this is like the MITRE attack version, right? <laughs> it's missing something, <laughs> obviously missing something. So once we add Sparta, now we can see the whole attack surface and we can uh, really look at uh, what a space system would be dealing with. We can characterize that, create digital twins and understand and map back to this common framework lexicon to speak across the world about the attacks against space systems. So this is really a kind of a monumental thing that aerospace created the Sparta. And um, I think I have a picture of it. Here we go. Here's their website. You can check it out. A lot of it's on the internet. They have actually taken in input from all over the world already today. Uh, members of Space ISAC and non-members have contributed to this, so we have a really good picture of what's going on in the space layer. And this is what our analysts and our watch center use to report out um, information about attacks. So we have the two different things that I mentioned, or one that I've mentioned, the watch center. We also have a cyber vulnerability lab in Colorado Springs. And in both of these environments, we're looking to bring in students to participate as either analysts or fellows and sit side by side with the public sector. So many of those government analysts, the intelligence community and US Space Command have already assigned analysts to our watch center and industry. Uh, so many of those uh, multinational corporations that are doing business in space have seen the value of assigning an analyst to this watch center. And students can have that experience of sitting side by side with them, looking at the threat scenarios and the use cases and learning about how to generate these reports with actionable intelligence. Um, there we go. Okay, so here's a picture of the architect's rendering of the watch center. I have this one in here because this is really just what it looks like. Like, I mean, there's no difference between the architect's rendering and real life, right? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Here's a picture of real life. It's just much harder to experience that wall unless you're sitting there on the watch floor and you get to see this giant display wall and see all the feeds of information and visualizations that the analysts get to have in their different cells. So we have a coordination cell, an all-source cell, terrestrial cell, signals, and space cell. And you can tell by the names that those map back to the different threat scenarios and use cases that our analysts are focused on. But they get exposed to so many different things through the multi-domain operation that we're running here and the engagements with the companies and the conversations they get to have about like the supply chain disruption, the vulnerabilities that are affecting the community. So this is um, it really doesn't show you the whole picture of what's going on. Um, I want to mention here that before we even opened our watch center, we already had 88% of the member companies connected to our member portal. And with that, they received 577 alerts in 2022. That's a pretty substantial amount of reading. 
can you imagine reading 577 alerts and then taking action on them? So the automated sharing and the use of MITRE ATT&CK and Aerospace Sparta is really important because we have to be able to get through this information, get it to owner operators and get it to network defenders as fast as possible. And uh, that doesn't really exist for the space layer right now. We've got beginning steps, but there's a, a lot of work that needs to be done and innovations that need to be brought to solve this problem. So we need to bring in more AI and machine learning capabilities and we need to um, invent or bring forth new technologies like uh, quantum and quantum key distribution and other solutions that will help to unlock the future security and resilience for space. Uh, here's a picture of our cyber vulnerability lab, sort of. Um, uh, it's in a pilot phase right now, so we're taking uh, actually proposals from our member companies to put together projects to unveil in the lab. And those can include students as well. What we're doing there is we have a sandboxed environment for hardware and software testing. And you can envision this because a lot of you have probably worked on a cyber range, um, but there's also that space layer element. So in um, the case of Moonlighter or the Hackasat project, then they actually started creating sandbox satellites where you can connect them to the ground and we can have a network now to test on and, uh, and do experimental learning there. So there's a, lo a lot of great things that are happening here. Now I need to do a time check and I just can't find a clock. <laughs> You're right on time. Right on time. Okay, awesome. All right, so I'll end with this. Uh, if you're interested in participating in person or virtually, you can join the Value of Space Summit and learn more about this topic. It's the third week of October, 17 through 19 October. And it's in, technically it is in Colorado Springs, but if you can't get there, then you can go to the website, Space ISAC's website, and you can sign up for the virtual engagement. And that should be free. Um, if you would like to come in person, send me an email because you can go for free. I mean, I can't pay for your flight, but you don't have to pay for registration for the summit. Uh, so here's the website, s-isac.org will take you to Value of Space Summit. If you would like to continue this conversation through this forum, um, you're more than welcome to join us. We'd love to have you. And I'll end there. Thank you. So you mentioned like the exponential increase in like cyberspace attacks over the years and how it's now it would be like the um the third line largest economy in the world. Um in that context, are those increased attacks um just for just kind of like the natural progression of technology over the years and just how things advance over time? Or is, was there something like specific that caused that increase in cyber attacks? I think the answer to your question, is this still on okay? Okay, the answer to your question is a little bit of yes to what you just asked, right? It's a little bit of all, but the reality is as we become more and more dependent digitally and all the cybersecurity has been pervasive and as Aaron mentioned, the interconnectivity across our critical infrastructure, everything else, it's just become a bigger target. And that's kind of what I was talking about, a bit of a tastier piece of food, because it's, you can, you know, my, one of my favorite research projects going on at UCCS is one person, a PhD student, where they're uh, attacking through your Tesla charger in your garage and be able to take down the, the critical infrastructure, uh, uh, the energy infrastructure by doing that attack. It's kind of a scary thing in research, you know, so not to worry about like tomorrow, but those are the kinds of things that make it attractive to attack. And I use that example because that's a, a non-space critical infrastructure, but space just gets even more tempting. And most of space, it's, didn't, cybersecurity was not built into those like GPS satellites that we all depend on, you know, getting around and getting a, a, a navigation and timing signals. So, so it's kind of a, a, a you're, you kind of answered it, but really it's because that's our way of life now, right? It's critical. It's not an option anymore. It's how we generate wealth and how we're going to generate wealth in the future. So it's a big target. I don't know, Aaron might have a different answer, but oh, no, yeah, die. okay. Something. So, uh, you mentioned that uh, you contact the, the, the enterprise satellite 
folks to tell them if there's a, there are anomalies that you detect. How do you get this information? Would they share it with you or and, and oh, yeah. are there privacy concerns to, to yeah, such certain protocols? Oh, yeah. So you're asking um, about the companies and protecting their maybe uh, sensitive information about the attacks against their systems. The, the ISAC model, I didn't spend a lot of time on this, but it ex has existed for around 25 years. Uh, because DHS and other government uh, in the US in particular identified the vulnerabilities of these systems and they needed a mechanism to really get industry to come together to create collective defense. So they have protections in place. There's a few laws that are out there that protect uh, information sharing in an ISAC environment and then also information sharing with the government. And uh, the cyber threat intelligence that they're sharing, a lot of it can be anonymized. And so the that's Another reason why the aerospace Sparta piece is so important because we can use sticks and taxi to do anonymized information sharing about the indicators of compromise. Uh, but it's also a trust community. So when you, we bring together our analyst working group, then sometimes companies are willing to share and we recognize sometimes they're not gonna be willing to share. Uh, but they also may be willing to share what we call traffic light protocol red, where they know it's just gonna be a direct communication from them to the watch center and it's not gonna be attributed back to them in any type of public way. So uh, traffic light protocol is something else DHS put together around 25 years ago to make this environment a success. I have a question actually. Uh, it might be a silly question, but I just want to understand the spectrum of, like I saw some keywords over there which are of my interest. Uh, like DevOps environment, data lakes, and satellites. How do these all link up? Like, how do, how does it exactly work? I just want to understand the uh, area. Like, how does security apply to like you know using DevOps or something like that? How does security come into picture? I just want to understand that aspect. Like, yeah. Well, I think there's. I mean, I'll take a hack at this. You can go ahead after I'm done, Scott, because I'm actually not an engineer, believe okay. it or not. Right. Um, but the a lot of the work that I've done in my past life okay. is I put together. Uh, in partnership with the Air Force, a design okay. studio where we're designing cybersecurity into systems. Okay. And so the same thing needs to be done with space systems. We have to look mm -hmm. at it from a holistic perspective and identify mm -hmm. what actually is this system. And that's mm -hmm. why I defined the attack surface because mm -hmm. for some time, I would say a couple decades prior to this one, then space systems were looked at as really piecemeal efforts. So there's the ground system, and then there's a satellite, and then there's a link, and we just like connect them together, and it's no big deal. They're all separate things, they're, but they're not designed with the end in mind, that we need to be able to monitor for attacks. We need to be able to design those monitoring tools and sensors in, and then we need to look at the whole picture as one system that then is even connected to people who depend on it. So now like my cell phone actually becomes part of the attack surface where you can get to Apple SOS, which is satellite communication. So it's all very interconnected and hopefully that answers your question or at least yeah. some of it. Yeah, some of okay. it, yeah. Yeah, I, that was a really good answer that Aaron gave you. I mean, the the I've been in the attack side most of my life attacking things and the vet, the, really easy way to attack the space industry writ large is through the supply chain and the supply chain in the space industry is really unique because it's a lot of very small niche companies with niche technologies i'll give you a little homely story of my own uh which wasn't cyber but it was interesting as i was putting this saddle uh, during covid i had designed this sensor to go up and and uh, look at the earth and one of the key things as you can imagine if you're an ir sensor is dealing with heat so the heat straps themselves, and they're about this big, they cost about $50,000 a piece, and they have very unique and very specific heat dissipation things. Well, the, it turns out there's only two or three, and one of them uh, that, that actually can make these things in the country, and they make them for the world, but it's in the US, and it was in a small place in Texas, and COVID absolutely shut their plant down. And you remember, we couldn't go to the same place, couldn't be. So the really creative solution, and I talked to him and you know his baby's crying in the background and I hear his wife trying to feed and everything and he took his company and he broke them apart and he rebuilt their manufacturing assemblies in their garages and basements of all of his 20 employees. And that's how they continued to make the ground, the little straps. 
And so I talked to him and he said, Scott, there's no way your priority. I got DARPA, I got NASA, I got NSA. But I, but I said, no, I got to have these. I got to go up. They'll, they'll launch without me. And he's like, well, tell me about your project. And he thought it was so cool. He moved me up to the top and made my straps for me. He didn't make my backup straps. I had to live with just the primaries. The backups came later. But that was the kind of example of the disruption of the supply chain and how critical I could shut down basically all the IR remote sensing things that were going to go up in that time frame by attacking the guys that make these little very high-tech uh, uh, straps to deal with the heat. So it's just an example how interconnected we are and little unique things of space. And we won't even get into, because you guys know in the news now, and many of you, I think maybe some of you in the room were telling me earlier working on it, you know, in space where you have this delay and you have satellites, especially you go to Cislunar, you can't do a TCIP approach, right? You've got to have a different approach. So that's another example, and that's going to present, present other unique attack vectors uh, attacking that. So it's a little longer answer. I hope that wasn't too far off edge, but I just kind of wanted to open your guys' minds of you got to really kind of think outside the box on this kind of stuff. What are like the most common attack vectors other than supply chain and um, also what are like the strategies we're kind of using to defend against these attack vectors? Well, my yeah, answer ahead. because the yeah. Watch Center is actually seeing this every day is that there's a, a lot of attacks against the link segment. It just, um, I think we, our alert that we send every week has something in the thousands of number of um, interference events. And then a number of those are intentional interference. So it's one of the ways we can tell that it's likely intentional is when we correlate what's happening in the space cell with the signal cell. So looking at the things that are happening with the space vehicle, maybe an attack that's been reported on a space vehicle or space vehicles moving outside of their normal pattern of life. And then you also see interference events. It's likely nefarious activity, um, not 100% confidence, but that's a good indication. So that, that's where we're seeing a lot of activity, just constant activity. And especially after the Russian invasion of Ukraine, it went up ex exponentially. Mm -hmm. Is that word again? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I'll just amplify on that because uh, the building that resiliency in, taking the zero trust architecture approach, kind of like you would do a non-space asset is related to space. But we talked about some of those unique things like, and Aaron talked a little bit about earlier, the need to have sensors and have information. Well, you don't always have the bandwidth and you can't really put sensors on and you can't really even send software based stuff up and easily in space or even have the ability to do that. So there's creative things that need to be developed and put in. You say those words at the upper level, but the devil's in the detail, right? So uh, how to implement that. And she's just highlighting how every day now, because they're able to actually see it, what's happening. But the answer to that is not quite as easy. You know, I, I like giving the, you know, the easy one, you know, if you're the sysadmin and you, okay, if they don't know their password three times, lock them out. Well, I guarantee if you lock the guy out that's got to maneuver that satellite, that, that's not going to be a good uh, solution to that problem, right? So <laughs> just little homely problems to kind of get you thinking. This, you, you really do have to become knowledgeable in this specific area and work those specific problems to this domain. Okay. Uh, we have two questions from the uh, online audience. Uh, how did you map the MITRE and SPARTA attacks? And was it a manual process? Oh, yeah, very manual. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why I think it says notional on that slide, <laughs> because it, it's really just a rough sketch. I mean, MITRE attack is extra, extraordinarily uh, large. You know, there's a large amount of data that's in MITRE attack. Same with aerospace SPARTA. So it's to demonstrate a concept for you. Industry is going to be the one that does a lot of this work, industry and people like you who get involved in this field of study, because it's complex. And when you go into Aerospace Sparta, then it does map back to MITRE attack. So if you identify TTPs and APTs and countermeasures and you load them into Sparta at the same time, you can also identify whether or not it maps back to something in MITRE attack. Um, so right now, a lot of this is a manual effort, uh, but I, I don't think it's going to happen in an automated way for a little while. 
Although, guys, I want to give you a challenge. I wish I was back where you're sitting, because yes. yes. what a Perfect. really cool problem to, 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 to yep. take AI and apply this. Yep. And then think about complexity of systems. And when you start identifying patterns and you automate things of new attacks and new problems with that and being able to predict what, if I'm going to attack you, predict what you're going to see and how you're going to interpret what I do. And I'll give you one other homely example of uh, which ties some things together is if I'm going to attack you, the one thing I want to do is you not to know that I'm attacking you, right? So that was where Aaron was hinting at the space weather. If there's bad weather and it's likely to be an impact to you, then that's when I'm going to attack you because I want you to think it was a weather problem. Well, let's complicate that even further. If you're a satellite operator and you have a problem with space weather, you can collect insurance if it took out your network or whatever. But if I a cyber attack and take you out, you can't collect your insurance. So now as the owner, what is my uh, uh, motivation here to report? Is it a weather problem or was I attacked? And then that complicates the sharing problem. And then if we start automating it, what's that called? Data poisoning. OK, so on and on, right? So you got to keep peeling the onion back. So it's kind of some exciting problems. That's why I wish I was where you are, because that's a problem you need to solve for us and let Erin know so she can implement it. <laughs> okay, another question. Can we classify ICS cyber physical attacks as a subset of space cyber physical attacks? Oh, well, I would say, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think people have done that so far. That's kind of how it ended up on the list in the first place is it's part of the space system that needs to be dealt with. The only thing I'll amplify on that one is, you know, that what Aaron said, absolutely. But if I was going to look for someone with a skill set today that overlaps cybersecurity in the space agency, the first place I would look would be in the critical infrastructure with the OT problems, the ICS problems. Maybe I attack your HVAC or I attack your generator uh, indicators. Um, that's kind of a similar approach to how you would impact a mission on the space side. So that's very similar, that ICS problem and then the unique problems to the space. I say similar, there's a lot of key differences as well, but that, if you think of the problem in that way, and, and Aaron did a great job of highlighting that IT to OT problem, which that really is, the information technology side to the operational technology side, and all of the things associated with the ICS attacks, that's really kind of what we're talking about, right? So, good question. Solid. Right. I took it easy on us. <laughs> oh, I should have asked it in the car. <laughs> so, um, the quote from the Viasat, Mark from Viasat, and then you talked about the satellites. And, and so, I, I guess my first question what's the age range of satellites up there? that are on the threat surface, the attack surface. And then wouldn't you always attack the weakest link? And, and how long will the weakest link be very, very, what should I say, attackable? You wanna take the first hack at that one? Um, you probably know how long the oldest I well, I was hoping you would know that. No, I don't know that. How long, it's a long time because when I, you know, yeah, so I always tell Rachel, you know, I feel like a dinosaur now, right? I've been in this thing a long time, right? And when I was in the Navy, they were just putting the GPS satellites up, and it was only two-dimensional. We didn't even have the uh, navigation in three dimensions. And so I lived through that coming up. Those are still up there. So for an age range, I would say... Yeah, yeah. How old am I? I? I hate to calculate this number. This is kind of like, <laughs> you know, but a long time, right? Um, um, uh, multiple decades. And uh, to your second answer, though, when we, you can't think of the space as a weak link, right? Even though it's a system, it's got a lot of different missions. So if I'm going to attack an imaging system, or I'm going to attack a comm system, or I'm going to attack a space internet. I'm going to attack something different. So it wouldn't be a low-hanging fruit necessarily from an old one. However, probably one of the most critical from a US economy perspective, and I know this because I actually got Aaron and I are both uh, working with DHS CISA in different ways, 
But, you know, the satellites now, or the cars, automotive cars, now that we have electric cars and all that, they're just a box of software too, and they're starting to see attacks, right? And so uh, their impact on the economy is really significant if you take out the automotive industry. And if I'm going to attack them, I'm going to go attack those weak links that we were just talking about that are really old. And, oh, by the way, it's not going to just affect satellites. I mean, even, even pumps need that signal to pump water up to the water tower to get water down. So you really got to start thinking about this. It's a pretty significant economic attack, but it depends on what I want to do. So if, it, so if I want to hold, you know, a lot of the attacks, well, Aaron can back this up or not, but I, I'm noticing an awful lot of ransomware seems to be the, the, the uh, attack of the day, right? And then that's including with the, the, that's coming out in Aaron's reports too. You know, and you'd know more than me, but I, I, I know that's frequent. <laughs> oh yeah, daily. We're tracking the threat actors that are doing ransomware attacks. It's constant. Uh, and we are having some difficulty mapping that to the space industry though, uh, because there it's not obvious that they're directly attacking the space industry through that avenue, but the second and third order effects, if, impact space industry for sure. So I just wanted to add, I think with space, it's important to think about think about it from a risk management perspective, mm -hmm. because we have, I think the latest number is somewhere around 8,800 satellites on orbit. And there's new things that are going up all the time, like they're working on technology that would help deorbit old stuff that needs to come down. And so that's another thing that's up there, another piece of infrastructure that can introduce risk but we also have more in leo than we've ever had before because we have proliferated leo constellations and we have a multi-orbit communication now so we're connecting the orbits to each other and then we have a lot of junk up there and an increasing amount of junk so when we think about the threats then we have to also think about what we're protecting and what we're um, managing risk against and it's it gets complicated especially once you add that debris factor in there because I mean, what if it's not actually debris? What if it just looks like debris, but it really isn't, you know? <laughs> and it's being used for nefarious purposes. There's all sorts of complexities. And we're not there. So you can't just walk over to the network closet and lock the door. <laughs> you have to have data and you have to have it remotely. And since there's a lot of cybersecurity engineers and, and, and in the audience, think about just generically from a cyber attack perspective, you want to attack the beginning of life and the end of life, because you're obviously very vulnerable there. End of life gets pretty darn dangerous when you're bringing stuff down or doing debris. So that's another aspect of it has a generic overall common cybersecurity, but the base component is a really unique uh, aspect of that end of life attack, which is how I would characterize what she just said. That's what I would call it. That would be my end of life attack would be to do something. And if I do it right, I'm going to do it. Maybe I deorbit or get you to run into somebody, and I'm going to allow you to prove because I'm a good attacker that somebody else actually did it, not me. Oh, I have one more question from online. Uh, Anonymous says, I'm thinking that there are roughly two aspects in space cybersecurity. One is the vulnerability of space technology, and the other is the application of space data to cybersecurity issues in other domains, for instance, finance. Does ISAC work on both? We would like to be working with all of the other ISACs in the 25-year plan of space ISAC. Then we would be working certainly with the financial services ISAC and looking at PNT issues that would affect that industry and the other um, impacts. Because if the financial services industry is impacted, they're attacked, then there's a, a high probability that somehow space companies will be affected. So we we certainly would like to be working with all of them. I could give you an example for every single other critical infrastructure and how we would eventually work with them. But I like that person's assessment. That was very interesting. And I want to thank you because now I can tell one of my other favorite stories to tell, which is he missed. It's about the humans. So the behavioral aspect of it is I was looking at a picture of your university. We were getting briefed earlier about the, uh, and I was thinking about when I went to school, when you're going to school, and they talked about they combined all your libraries to the place you have that nice picture in the, of the crossing the Delaware and all the lights and all that, because there aren't many books anymore, right? And when I started, there was books. However, the way you attack things, just because you use new technology, is basically the same. The same type of an attack pattern, the same type of behavior that I would look for and use 
is the same I'll do now. And I, even as this technology is advancing, it's, the, it's a human that you're looking for. And the favorite part of my story is when I first got into cybersecurity, I was working with AT&T on the telecommunications infrastructure. Because even when I was young, the Chinese were attacking our telecommunications infrastructure all the time. And so that was a big problem. And the when you have layers or tiers, as you guys know, of, hey, tier one can handle this type of problem, a little harder problem, you need tier two, et cetera. Well, guess what the major of the top tier, the person always solved the problem of uh, cybersecurity, anybody want to take a guess of what his major was? Psychology. Good, good guess. Psychology is a good guess. He had a PhD in forestry. And he was an avid hunter. And he said, look, Scott, you're just hunting people. I'm looking for the same kind of patterns. I'm not seeing bent, you know, uh, leaves on the ground or things bent or, or footprints, but I am looking for patterns in the ones and zeros and it's the behavior. So the behavioral aspect is the one thing that's the same when the dinosaur was young, which is me and you guys, uh, you just have different technology to, to utilize it. Um, so I wanted to add, it wasn't his direct question, but it kind of opened up that point of don't forget the users as uh, that Aaron had briefed. We had a question up here. Yes, that was a quick question for because old technology still isn't phased out, um, so it's still used. Would like most reports because it's usually not built in with security. Would most reports kind of stem back to like old technology that's still in use in satellites because they're the most targetable. Uh, well, there are a lot of exploits that are out there that are certainly old that are in satellites today that could be exploited. So I think to your point that. It's not necessarily that we have a lot of reports on it, but there's a lot of legacy technology that's involved in the space industry. Um, I mean, you can find some very, very old operating systems that are not properly configured as well as firmware issues that may exist because of just lack of uh, proper configuration to address the current day threat and different te technologies that are available now to attack systems. Go to that Sparta site because Brandon Bailey, which is a name some of you may have heard from aerospace, mm. since they're members of the Space ISAC, he's a member and works with Aaron really closely. Mm. And he has a lot of really interesting information writing about that question you just asked. If you dig into his papers below his Sparta, which is kind of the result of him doing all the things he's been doing, mm -hmm. uh, I, I would recommend that's a really fruitful area to do some research. Uh, oh, and, and, and then you can talk to Erin and she can probably connect you to in ways I can't even think of. So, but I know I work with Brandon outside the space ISAC as well. So mm -hmm. uh, he's a good resource. I'm trying to put it a plug for Aaron because you, it's amazing what they have access to, right? I mean, I don't know if they fully realize what you told them. <laughs> you yeah. have access to the whole world space industry, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, not just uh, Brandon and his Sparta work, but he also informed the design of the vulnerability lab so we could get more information out and do disclosures on those vulnerabilities of those legacy systems. It's good to be at Purdue. <laughs> <laughs> We're good. I'm just more questions. All right. Thank you. Thank you.